And through this experience, it was becoming very, very clear I was not in control of anything. Everything was slipping, I felt like. The only thing that was certain was Christ's love for me. And I had heard that in the past, but I thought, oh, okay, that's sweet. But when you when you feel like really everything you know is, is not what you thought, you start to think about that a lot differently. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. And it's our very first first Yay! Monday Friday. So welcome to the first Monday in February. <laughs> and we are so excited to bring you Jeremy Meredith from our Fair Hope community. I just thought this was the most down-to-earth yeah. story. Yeah. You know, of course, February is the month of love, right? And we really, the whole month of February, we're doing stories about kind of relationships and, and love. But it, I just thought it was perfect to start off this whole month with a story that is about really Christ's love for you and resting in that. Yes, her story is one about heartbreak, but it's also one about healing and redemption as well. A beautiful ending to her story that I loved so much. So you definitely want to stick around until the end, but I just can't wait for you to hear her story and know that no matter what you're going through, no matter the despair that you're going through, Christ's love is there for you. And we have a big announcement today on this first Monday of February. It is time for the Stories of Hope Luncheon, which will be held here in Birmingham on Wednesday, March the 13th at The Club, which is a gathering place here in Birmingham. And we want to invite you, if you are anywhere close to Birmingham, come and join us. You will love celebrating everything that God has done through the ministry of storytellers. And our storyteller speaker for that day is Ellen Purcell of Purcell Farms, which is a resort right outside of Birmingham. Sponsorships are available. If you love our ministry and want to engage with our podcast audience, just consider sponsoring this event, the Stories of Hope Luncheon. Click the link in our show notes below, or you can go to our website at storytellerslive.org and click the link to the Stories of Hope Luncheon page. We hope to see you there. Here's Jeremy. When Tracy and Kim and Eleanor mentioned that they had this idea that I could be one of the speakers, I said, no. No, that wouldn't be me, but I could help them think of some other people. Um, And I just thought, it would just be too hard to put this all in one story. How would I even put it all together in a way that maybe could could do any good? And then I really prayed about it, and a few months went by, and I just started thinking about all the incredible things that God's done in my life. Um, I knew I had to stand before you today. Um, Even if I'm able to give one person here in this room, hope by hearing me and my story, that it was worth me mustering up the strength and confidence to stand for you. So um, I think to begin with, I want each of you to know about my experience believing and seeing firsthand that there's a light at the end of any tunnel of despair um, by turning to Christ. A little background on my childhood. Um, In 1973, I was born in a small Mississippi town of Hattiesburg. Um, Leading up to my existence, it helps to know a couple of very significant happenings in my family. My father, Baptist minister at the time, um, had determined our family was complete with my two older sisters, um, Lauren and Anne Murray. Um, Now, he had not done anything um, medically to ensure that. He had made his declaration. Um, The story I've been told is that my sisters prayed repeatedly for a baby sister and um, at mealtimes, believing that if they prayed enough, it would happen. It must have made my father anxious, um, so he scheduled a vasectomy. 
much to my mother's disappointment as she wanted to have another child. Um, years went by. And um, after his surgery, the Hales family seemed complete um, and settled with four. Not so fast. My mother was approaching 40. Um, my sisters are now 10 and 12 years old. And extreme nausea set in for days. And she called her doctor and said, I think I'm pregnant. Um, mother was so sure after she did the blood test, she told the doctor she could just call my father because she knew it was going to be positive. Um, sure enough, my mother, hours later, saw my father get out of his car with a brown bag. And reminding you all, my father was a Baptist minister. We did not have alcohol in the house. I was on the way. So um, my sisters were getting a baby sister. My oldest sister, Lauren, told me that I was her first answer prayer. Um, proof he listens to us, indeed. Prayers of a child. Growing up on Donwood Place was about as perfect as it could get from my vantage point. Um, I had my parents to myself because by the time I was in second grade, both of my sisters were gone to college. Um, I felt loved, cherished, and incredibly valued. In fact, I was named the prize. Um, that was because I would have people come up to me, adults all throughout town, and say, you're the little Hales surprise. And I thought they were saying prize. So um, regardless, I would correct them and say, no, I'm the prize. Um, I was made to feel like a prize. And my parents addressed letters to me all throughout their life as my prize. Um, First Baptist Church of Hattiesburg was our church home. And I have some people here tonight from Hattiesburg and some childhood friends. It's really special. And we were there any times the doors opened. Um, for the Baptists out there, all these things will ring a bell with you. Mission friends, GAs, youth group, disciple now retreats, training union on Sunday nights, Bible drills, learning the books of the Bible in order, lock-ins, lock-outs, mission trips. And when my parents asked me to join the youth choir, I had to, I had to say I've got to do some negotiating. And we worked out that I could get my ears pierced at age 14 instead of 16 if they would let me join the youth choir. So on Sunday afternoons, I added that to my list of church activities and sang hymns um, for two hours every Sunday with my big gold hoops. I'm so excited. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, after being this later in life surprise from my parents, um, they gave me the joy of giving me a boy name. Um, spelled differently, so a double whammy. It's J-E-R-A-M-Y. Um, there's really not a good story. Everybody asks me. I'd love to come up with one, but there's not a good story. It's not a family name. Nothing. Um, my mother wanted to name me Elizabeth Graham, and my father just, he liked Jeremy. Um, being the third girl, I guess my mother gave in um, on the name. So no one in my school was named Jeremy growing up. You didn't hear it often in Mississippi. And there were no major hiccups. When I left for college, the comments began. Did your parents want a boy? Did your parents think you were a boy? Is your dad's name Jerry and your mother's name Amy? Um, <laughs> you name it, I got it. Um, showing my driver's license in most situations, I would get questions, is this your name? Or is it your husband's name? It's like, no, that's my picture with my name. <laughs> Over the years, I've had some funny situations. Um, the bank sent me to a trust school down in Myrtle Beach, and... I get up to get my room assignment for the week and who my condo roommate's going to be. And they went, you're Jeremy? Step aside, please. <laughs> and they, they had me with a guy named Steven. And I ended up getting a condo by myself for the week. So sometimes it works out. Um, but I, inevitably, they have me rooming with other men in most of these situations. 
interviews were also interesting. I tried to put down things like social chairman in my sorority. Um, down as one of my activities. They just never seemed to get it. Um, it ended up being a pretty nice icebreaker, though, for those interviews. You know, I've always considered myself an extrovert and felt well-liked with a group of friends throughout junior high, high school. I had a blast in high school. Um, I blame my lack of history and geography knowledge to the fact that I really was busy passing notes um, during those classes, trying to organize and plan what our, our weekend plans were going to be. If there was a social function of any kind, I was in the center of it. Um, the fun world of college began, and I thought four years at Ole Miss would never be enough. Um, sorority swaps, fraternity parties, I just loved every minute of it. Um, upon my senior year of college, I heard banks were offering these great training programs um, for undergrads and MBA students. So I decided to interview, landing my first job with AmSouth Bank as a management associate in their program, and it's now Regions. Um, I loved this first year out on my own. I um, I met other college graduates from all over the program, the independence it gave me, living in the big city of Birmingham. I just, it was dreamy. You know, at this point in my life, tell you all of this, I, I really had never had any hard, hard knocks. Um, things had always gone my way. Um, I was well-loved at home throughout childhood. I was extremely close with my family. Um, I felt secure, well-liked and accepted by my peers. You know, looking back, I had been baptized at the age of 11, and I had all the head knowledge from my church involvement over the years, and it was just the thing you do when you turn 11 at First Baptist Church. Um, I was a regular church and Bible study attender, but I had never grasped the heart knowledge um, of having a deep personal relationship with Christ and truly relying on Him. I'd never had to. Um, a few years later, I met my husband through some mutual friends, and we also worked with the same bank. And fast forward, we get married, and we have three children. Annie, John Thomas, and Billy, some of you are mothers that um, have children in my children's grades and been very special. Um, I had no idea that becoming a mother would be one of God's greatest gifts to me. It was probably the first time, too, in my life that I even knew you could love another human being that much. Um, they're just such a highlight in my life. And over the years, while they're young, I'm, I'm still balancing the role as wife and mother or managing my career while they were young and loving the sweet life of my family and friends. There were challenges in our marriage, um, for sure. But I really just thought everyone has them. They're going to get better, and we can manage. Counseling was ongoing. Um, we had times that were better than others. When my husband decided he no longer wanted to live in Birmingham, I, I chalked it up to a midlife crisis. I thought, Birmingham, life here could not get any better. Why in the world would we want to leave this place? Um, he was interviewing all over the country. Um, and finally, when he came to me and said he was being offered his dream job in South Alabama, I thought, well, at least this is in the state of Alabama. I'm open to going to visit. Um, reluctantly, I agreed to leave everything I had known um, and start completely over in this small town called Fairhope. I had been here one time, y'all, and that was to go to the Grand Hotel when I was in high school, and I certainly wasn't thinking about school systems and <laughs> housing. So I just, I knew nothing. Just remember that it was pretty. But I was leaving my mother, my sisters, my brother-in-laws, they were also like my big brothers, my nieces and nephews, 18 years of friendships, my in-laws, um, all the security and support they gave me and my family. There was not a sporting event where there wasn't a grandparent, an aunt, a cousin, just a cheering section for my children. So it was just a, it was just a real sweet situation that we had. 
when I told people we were moving, this is a, I'm a little bit embarrassed about this now, I would say, oh, we are moving down to this small town called Fairhope. And I would say it just like that. And it was being said as if I was being announced a death sentence. Um, it was being handed down to me. I said, I know no one. I cannot imagine. How is that going to play out? Or if I'm going to have any friends there? I, this is just crazy. And people would say, why are you saying Fairhope like that? <laughs> and I was like, well, I just, it's not Birmingham. And they said, it's quite lovely, Jeremy. People actually try to move down there. It's like, you're kidding. It's like, to Fairhope? Um, but once we moved down, it didn't take me long um, to see Fairhope, you know, in all its beauty. Well, like anything, my husband and I had hoped a fresh start um, with a new job. New friends, new town, and new scenery would also erase the problems that um, we had been ignoring in our marriage. We had a lot of dilution in Birmingham, a lot of people that I could dilute to sidetrack the, the real issues. The fine lines became cracks in the major potholes um, because problems and conflict, they don't go away, even though you move to another town if they're not appropriately addressed. You know, the marriage began just really began unraveling. Um, I sought a legal separation um, to buy us some time. We were really dire situation, um, and I knew that the separation needed to occur for us to see if we could get this healed. Um, it quickly turned um, into a full-fledged divorce, and my husband moved to New Orleans. He had a job there, and he moved there, and so I found myself in a quaint little town alone as a parent, no family close in proximity, and the children's father in a different state. Um, it looked obvious. I needed to get back to Birmingham, where my friends and family were. I was a full stay-at-home mom. Um, I left my career in Birmingham when I moved down to Fairhope and had been a stay-at-home mom for several years. And my mind went down all kinds of rapid trails. You know, who's going to hire me? How will I go back to work and raise these three children physically by myself? Um, the list goes on and on. Will I be alone forever? Just... All the what-ifs. I knew I needed to be in God's Word, and a lot of people told me that. But my mind was so distracted with the negative and the what-ifs that fear just, it just paralyzed me. Really, my every thought. Um, I don't know if y'all remember the movie War Room by Priscilla Schreiber. That came out in 2015, and a friend encouraged me to watch it. The movie's theme is portraying the power of prayer. And a woman who is having some issues in her marriage um, writes verses and surrounds her four walls in her closet that. I watched the movie, and it was touching, and, you know, of course, their marriage is healed, and it's wonderful, and I just, I thought, well, that's not my situation, and this seems hokey, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I got some printer paper, and I started writing some verses and putting it in my closet. Well, going to sleep at night, I know a lot of you know when you're going through a hard time, it's like the worst time when it's quiet. And your mind is still, and it's just, the enemy just comes in. And everything you can possibly imagine negative comes in. And I thought, I can't go to sleep and wake up in the morning and try to run to my closet. So all of those verses extended into the four walls of my bedroom. And I know people that came over and thought, ooh, this girl is going through a hard time. <laughs> because literally, I had printer paper everywhere. Um, so, I, you know... But literally, what happened was, you know, that anxiety and fear, um, I woke up and literally was covered in prayer from the time I went to sleep to the time I woke up. Friends would come and visit, 
And again, see this in my bedroom, they would just hug me. They didn't really say anything. I think they didn't know what to say. And they really didn't know what to say if they hadn't seen the movie. And so they probably were all calling each other saying, have you checked on Jeremy? She's got stuff all over her house. Um, you know, they could see I was trying to seek his guidance, um, but I was just in a dark place and sad. Um, but, you know, it provides so much comfort having those verses all around me. Um, and it continually reminded me of the promises from God and for his children. You know, Annie and the boys would say, Mom, what's up with all the things on the wall? And I just explained there were verses of hope and healing and redemption. It really gave me an opportunity to kind of talk to them about it. Um, so I asked if it would be okay if we hung some in the kitchen. And I let them weigh in on verses that they liked, even if it had nothing to do with those things. And we started scripture in the kitchen, you know, where we all hung out. It was sad, but a humbling time um, for the four of us. And again, I would say for the first time in my life, I had been in control of everything, um, or so I thought. And through this experience, it was becoming very, very clear I was not in control of anything. Everything was slipping, I felt like. The only thing that was certain was Christ's love for me. And I had heard that in the past, but I thought, oh, okay, that's sweet. But when you, when you feel like really everything you know is, is not what you thought, you start to think about that a lot differently. Among many, I clung to the verse in Isaiah 61.3, He will give you a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Again, I had heard this verse before, but I didn't really understand what it meant. It now took on a new meaning for me. What beauty could come from all of this? I mean, really, I losing my marriage, losing everything. Um, I couldn't see it, but I just had to rely that there was some truth. If one more person said to me, God has a plan, Jeremy, don't worry, I thought I would scream. Um, I wanted to yell back, easy for you to say that sleeps next to her loving husband every night with financial security and what appears to be a great life. I could feel my fear turning to anger and anger turning to bitterness, and I was just determined not to be that person. The first step I knew had to occur was forgiveness. I learned a lot of things through this journey, and a big thing was when you ask for forgiveness for others that have hurt you, really live in it. Because I think we can say we forgive, but if we don't live in it, we haven't forgiven. And it, it just takes root. You have to really put it in God's hands. Um, otherwise, it will take root in your heart, and your life actions will not reflect it. I could feel bitterness setting in. I could feel the enemy would love nothing more to keep me bitter and broken as a divorced single mom. I think growing up, my understanding of forgiveness was when someone asked you for, to be forgiven, you had a choice. Do I want to forgive them or do I not? That was just my idea of forgiveness. Um, that's just not always the case. Um, forgiveness is for the person hurt, even if it is never asked for by the person that hurt you. And I'm going to say that again. I think it's just so important for us to remember. Forgiveness is for the person hurt, even if it is never asked for by the person that hurt you. I found it to be such a prison release for me. All of us are in need of forgiveness. I asked for the first time and grasped for the first time that forgiving others is a prerequisite for our own forgiveness. Um, Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Surrounded by childhood friends, Fairhope friends, Birmingham friends and family, people showed up um, to support me. It really resonated. You can fake caring, but you can't fake showing up. And they all showed up. 
I pleaded with God during my prayers, God, I don't like this plan. I hate the plan. Why is this plan happening to me? I don't understand how any good can come from this plan, but I will trust in you. After a few weeks of crying and barely getting out of bed, I come into complete and utter despair. I tried to focus on verses of hope. It's so hard to not think of the past and what would never actually be the way I'd pictured it. In fact, the chapter book I thought I knew how it was going to end really had to be put down, and a new story had to be written. We can fill our minds with anything, um, and mine was filled with doubt, negativity, fear, the what-ifs, and I just, I was literally drowning. I had to choose to fill it with hope, or I, I, I there was nowhere else to go. I was at rock bottom. Um, so I made a section on my wall, above my bed, because I had no more room, verses of hope. Um, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Do not let your heart be troubled. I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. Peace I give you, peace I leave you. If God is for me, who can be against you? God knew our hearts would be troubled, and so he gives us lots of reminders in his word. I just think it's so important for us to remember that, that he is with us. Sometimes we don't feel it, but he is. He promised us the fruit of the Spirit. We have access to all this because we have God living in us. Life can be super, super hard. And I've always heard the cliche, God will never give you more than you can handle. There's even a bumper sticker that says that. And then it says, so God must think I'm a badass. (laughs) Well, this was more than I could handle. Um, So during some counseling, I questioned this cliche. And my counselor said, oh, yes. God will allow allow life circumstances that seem so bad, and they are more than you can handle. And it's so in God's hope that those circumstances will turn you to him. Um, From this point, I felt like I could barely come up for air. I would feel like I had taken two steps forward, and then I'd take three steps back. This went on for months. Um, I just went in circles. Several different friends reached out to ask if I wanted to join their ladies' Bible study, and I I so appreciated it, and I needed it. I just felt too fragile to get out um, and be around people. I never knew what my emotions were going to be. I never knew what was being said about me. Just Just the uncertainty of all of that and the judgment, I just, I couldn't be around people that I didn't feel safe with. Um... A few of these girls are in the room. I'm not going to look at them, so I'm going to start crying. But um, a few sweet friends decided to create a Bible study for me. They ordered a certain book and offered to meet at my house with me weekly. They would pray with and over me. I could literally roll out, get my children to school, off the, on the bus, roll out of bed, in my exercise clothes, no makeup. And they knew, I knew they'd love on me no matter what. These ladies were some of the many angels God on, put on earth right when I needed it. I had a dear friend in Birmingham um, that literally counseled me every day on the phone. Um, One day she said, Jeremy, let's change our goal from take it one day to a time to take it one hour at a time. I think I just, she knew I was hitting just another real low point and she would help me divide up tasks and things that I had to decide on um, in sections. And she would say, okay, let's, let's think about these two things today and then we'll tackle the next thing tomorrow. And it helped so much just to know I wasn't alone. Um, 
I was drowning, knew my heart, had to trust in God's word. I had nothing else that felt certain in my life. I realized there was some good in his plan, and my Savior indeed could take my ashes and create beauty going forward. I didn't know what that was going to look like, but it was all I could do was trust. Surrendering my control truly for the first time in my life, I cried out to Jesus to show me the way. You know, how do I take this next step? It might not be evident on my time schedule, but that is where I was called to trust him in my life. Truly trust him. God assures us that no destructive force in our lives, divorce, the loss of a loved one, battling cancer, and so forth, no destructive force is greater than his plan to keep and preserve us. I held on to this promise. Not just for me, but I had three sets of little eyes looking up to me that I needed to comfort and assure them that we were all going to be okay. Um, even if I didn't believe it at the time, I, I had to I had to forge forward for them. From beginning to end, our separation and divorce took 18 months. It's long and grueling. It gave me plenty of time to interview for jobs, look for houses, and make plans for our move back to Birmingham. Shockingly, God reminded me again I was not in control of all of this. My old managers that I contacted did not have opportunities at the time in Birmingham. Um, but ironically, both had available jobs in the Mobile, Baldwin County area. After putting an offer on a house in Birmingham, my contract on my Fairhope house fell through. I was hitting all kinds of roadblocks. I had three children begging to stay in Fairhope. Realizing I had very little control over all the changing changes in my children's life, our divorce, selling our home, a new school, me going back to work, me not adding a move back to Birmingham and staying in Fairhope could be one less additional change. Um, I could make happen for my children. Um, I had to take note that God, too, was continuing to turn me back from Birmingham. It made so much sense on paper for me to go back to Birmingham and be around my family and support and where I had a lot more business connections. But he kept turning me back to the town that I now call home. Fortunately, God surrounded me again with these angels on earth. They came in the form of my friends from my three-circle small group. My children's friends, mothers, my community Bible study, ladies group, a lot of them are here tonight, college friends, my two big sisters, who all gave me the strength to persevere during this time. As the completion of my divorce came near, it was becoming more and more evident that Fairhope was where the children I needed to stay, at least for now. The fear of how all this would work, again, was front and center. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I just had to continue reading and repeating this verse. Selling my dream house, losing my 16-year marriage and the life we had built, it was just painfully surreal. A friend came down to visit um, and help us pack up our home. And as the tears rolled down my face, I said, How am I ever going to be able to create another home like this for me and the children? I'll never forget what she said. She said, Jeremy, you have all the pieces. We're just going to rearrange the pieces in a puzzle a different way. Now, she's a decorator, and I knew she meant the contents of my home that she had, so, you know, so had put all together for me. But it really just meant so much more to me than that. You know, God had given me the key pieces. Uh, my salvation, three wonderful children to love, a mind that could go back to work and support us in a way to put an even better life puzzle together than I'd ever had. 
I guess I would say the biggest things I learned um, during these years was the importance of forgiveness. And again, true forgiveness, not the old definition of what I thought it was. And I was really looking at the wrong things for my security. And I have been my whole life. Not to mention, just a whole other story, my mother, who is my heartbeat and best friend, died unexpectedly um, during these years after we moved down to Fairhope. And that coupled with this just took my breath away. Um, It made me realize just how important it is to value your close relationships because we just don't know how long we're going to get to have them. And God knows we need fellowship here on earth. Um, One of the greatest gifts to my sisters and me is God picking her to be our mother. Um, We were forever changed. She held so much security for me, um, that unconditional love that a mother can give. And she was really my most significant earthly relationship in my life at this point. I, I just loved her dearly. My hardest days and years resulted, though, in some amazing transformations in my life. Um, as I said, because my life up to this point really had been a smooth ride, I never had to rely on God. With everything in my life slipping away now, I was in the Word more. I was talking to God. I was crying out to God for help. I needed Him more than ever before. The divorce was happening, and um, I needed to quickly get my ducks in a row. Now, where will we live? How will I get myself dressed, the kids all ready into school, and be in a corporate job in Mobile by 8 o'clock every morning? What happens when one of them gets sick? What happens when I get sick? Who will take care of us? Um, The crazy scenarios that go on in our head, um, it just seemed daunting. As God promises, he'll never leave us or forsake us, and that was true in our case. The pieces started falling together. I reached out to my sweet neighbor and realtor good friend, who I see in the back, was helping me sell my Fairhope house. And I asked if I could see a house in Daphne. She didn't ask any questions, but I knew she was wondering um, since I was supposedly moving back to Birmingham. When we met to see this house, she said, Jeremy, are we not moving back to Birmingham? (laughs) I think I laughed and cried and said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, But something's really tugging at me to stay here in Fairhope. It doesn't make sense. No family. No support, but I I just, I feel a need to stay here. After seeing the house that wasn't a fit, she mentioned she had a pocket listing and arranged for us to see this house right by Bayside. With the warning it was a huge project, the house will be sold as is. But the minute I walked through it, I knew I could transform it and make it to a wonderful home for us. I consolidated the children all to one school so they could literally walk there and back. And I was able to go back and work under the guys in Birmingham that I had so enjoyed and known for, for many years. I accepted a job with Regions in Mobile at the RSA Tower as a private wealth advisor with a commitment that if my business was all going well, they would get me and my team our own office space over in Fairhope within the first two years. I think that, they said that in that final interview because I thought, how am I going to be across the water, across this big bay for my children? What if they need me? And they said, it won't be forever. You know, you're going to drive to Mobile for a few years, but we're, we're, going, to, we're going to try to get you back over to Fairhope. And they did. The job and the business down here far exceeded my expectations. I loved my managers, my coworkers, and my team. I was so, y'all, that was probably one of my biggest fears was going back to work. Um, I had lost all confidence in myself. They were so supportive and patient with me as I got my feet wet again, jumping back into the corporate world. My fear and insecurity that really made me unrecognizable was slowly replaced with confidence. 
the ability to take care of myself and the children financially took my mind away from thinking of the negative possibilities that could lie ahead for us. Annie, John Thomas, and Billy seemed to be thriving at their new school, and we were enveloped with other families, a lot of you here, that offered to give me help at any given time. Take or pick up my children, have us over for dinner, bring us dinner, include us for holidays with their families. I mean, I'm talking Easter, Christmas Eve, Mother's Day. Um, people would invite the children and I. And that's something that a lot of people don't think about with divorced people. You get left out of things. And people just, they don't mean to, but you inevitably get left out of dinner parties. You get left out of gatherings. And it just meant so much for people to extend invitations to us. Um, I even had people that offered to be my emergency contacts, you know, for school and for doctors because I didn't have anybody here local. Um, the Fairhope community became my family, um, my Christ family, and it was one that I'd never had. Years go by, long work days, crazy sports schedules, homecoming dances, all the fun things that happen with children as they grow up. I hired an amazing high school girl to help me with the children in the afternoons, their activities, help with homework, and just be there until I could get home. A month after I had gone back to work, I'll never forget this. My days look completely different, you know, from before. I'd work all day. Then I'd be on my laptop at night after dinner, um, trying to retain the licenses I needed that were lost from being out of the workforce for a number of years. One night, Annie came down the stairs before bedtime, and my, immediately my mind went to, I'm so depriving my children. They used to have me anytime they wanted me. Um, and I, I said, now I bet they, they feel neglected. Even at night, I'm working. So I quickly closed my laptop. I said, oh, Annie, what do you need, sweetie? I, I can help you with anything. I told her we could visit. And I'll never forget her response. She said, Mama, what did you do to make sure you could be this successful with work? Because I want to make sure I can do the same. I just, it was not at all what I was expecting. It was such a reassurance to me from God that I was showing my children the importance of being able to support yourself, you know, no matter your circumstances. And they weren't feeling as neglected as I let my mind think they were. Their father moved back to the area during COVID. And we worked, we both worked very hard um, to have a healthy co-parenting relationship. And I can attest, it is possible with two willing parents. And it's so important for children of divorce. Although we're no longer husband and wife, we'll always be Annie, John Thomas, and Billy's mom and dad. Their dad and I get together with them now for graduations, prom pictures, birthday parties, any important moment in their lives with great ease. So thankful for that restoration. My story could end here because the real win for me through all of this is that I learned to trust in Jesus. And through him, I now believe I can accomplish anything. Although I tried not to let it, dating thoughts would creep in. I had been on several blind dates that were super discouraging, super <laughs> discouraging. So I did a lots of, I'm putting that, I'm just going to put that aside, I'm going to wait the children graduate, definitely not find anybody down here. Yeah, just all of that. I would, you know, take these sabbaticals, but I'm not going on a date. I thought, will I ever meet a strong Christian man? Will I have, will I have, am I still attractive? I mean, I just... Well, I have the opportunity to find love again at this age. You know, I would tell myself often that I was complete, and I was, just like things were. But I did also pray that if God did see remarriage in my future, I'd welcome the opportunity to marry again. So God knew the desires of my heart, um, but his plan and his timing, they're not always our plan. 
and rarely in our timing, as we probably all know. But because I had learned to really rely on the Lord, it also put me in a better mindset to date again on God's time frame. Six years have now passed since my divorce, and the children and I are really in a good rhythm, um, being the four of us. They would ask from time to time if I wanted to date, um, or if I had a date, you know, why did I not want to go out with them again? One night, my youngest, Billy, heard me come in from dinner and said, well, did you like him? And I said, he's nice, he's nice um, for somebody else. Um, (laughs) He's just not a fit for me and our family. And I guess I had said that many times because he sighed and he goes, you don't like anybody. (laughs) So I always said, you know, that I was focusing on the other joys of my life, and I was. Maybe one day, if it's in God's will, that could occur, but it might not, and I'm just fine. Weekends would roll around, and I would have plans sometimes, but... I found myself on many Friday nights eating cereal and watching Dateline in the bed. And I acted like it was the best Friday night activity ever as they filed out the door to be with their friends. Um, It kind of still is nice to do that. Um, I never wanted them to worry about me being alone. An old bank coworker heard I was divorced and mentioned this to a guy named David Meredith. We had not seen each other in over 15 years. We had worked in different departments at the bank and barely knew, really, enough to say hello back in those days. Um, He told the mutual friend that he did think he remembered me and would reach out for us to go grab lunch. He thought I was still with Regions in downtown Birmingham. So when he called, I could hear his disappointment when I said, I'm with Regions in downtown Fairhope. And I thought, that's going to be the end of that. Um, He suggested we keep talking on the phone and texting. And if anything, we could just be friends and be of support to each other as single people later in life. Um, There was no pressure. And it was just so nice to have someone familiar with mutual friends um, that I could talk with. So a few weeks later, he decided to throw out there that he could come down to Fairhope and take me to dinner just to see where things might go. Continuing to act like being friends was just fine with him. And um, he played his cards right because I was super skittish about having any pressure or expectations on me and diving back into the dating world, just scared of getting hurt. Um, From the time we set that plan in motion, Two weeks went by. I found myself so excited um, each, each night to get home from work and chat with him. Um, he would ask all kinds of what he would call speed dating questions. Um, from Jeremy, what is your favorite color? To tell me the last time you cried and what was it over? He would fill these you know, light questions with something heavy, and he would go back and forth. You know, What's your relationship with Christ? Tell me about your childhood. We really got to know each other's hearts um, without the complication of anything physical. So when the much-anticipated day arrived for him to come, meet him face-to-face, sweet Whitney helped me organize my outfits. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I've got to have the right jewelry, the right clothes, and um, I had it all laid out, sending pictures to my sister, so this is what I'm going to wear. You know. um, I just told a few close friends that I was predicting this is going to be a man I was going to get, to get to know better. Um, in November of 2021, David Merritt and I made a public covenant before God and man to enter into a Christ-centered marriage. We were surrounded by a heritage of close friends and our family who covered us in prayer. And I was reminded of a familiar Baptist hymn that we all sung as Baptists lots when we were young. Count your blessings, count them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Well, I'm here today. I indeed acknowledge the blessing that God sent me in the man of David Meredith. To God be the glory, great things he has done. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. 
There's a book that some of you may have heard of called A Life Well Spent. It's by Russ Crossan. Um, the premise of the book is if you could go to the end of your life and say what you would want said about you, you know, your eulogy, whatever you want people to remember your character to be and what you've accomplished, you would determine those things and then you would live your life backwards. Putting it all in perspective that we all need to have an eternal perspective when we go through life. It's easy to forget that in this world. Um, everything we do on earth is temporary. I used to think I wanted to know the future. I used to say, if I'd only known, then I wouldn't have moved down to Fairhope. If I'd only known, I would have, you know, da-da-da. Just all the things that I just really wanted to blame God for not showing me my future. Um, I used to think that if I knew the future, I'd be so grateful. But now I'm so grateful that I did not know my future. I'm glad I didn't know that I would walk down the aisle to a marriage that would not last. I'm so glad I did not know I'd move down to Fairhope and soon lose my mother. Again, most significant relationship in my life. I'm so glad I did not know that David Meredith would be in my future years down the road. Because if I had known any of those things, I would not have trusted Christ. There's so many things I can look back on and see that I didn't know the future. I just knew he held the future. I have to constantly remind myself that nothing in life will all be perfect. And I'm promised another storm ahead. I'm trying to enjoy the reprieve right now. We're all promised storms ahead. And our puzzle's never complete. Um, we'll have missing pieces until the day that God determines our work here on earth is complete. Until that day arrives, I'm just praying that you and I, we, can be sensitive to the Spirit's leading and prompting through any challenge we're faced with in life. What I hope to express to all of you is regardless of what new journey God decides to call you to after tragedy, Jesus will be enough. You know, as I said at the beginning, just Jeremy's story was was just such a reminder of the love that Christ has for us. And and first of all, I loved how she poured into scripture. Yes. War room. I love that movie. Even on act like not even really believing it would work. Yes. Just <laughs> like more you know what? I'm gonna paste yeah. all these things all over my house and just yeah. see what happens and yeah. how she just lived in the comfort of that. But you know, right after she got divorced, it spoke to me because coming off of Lauren's story from last week, as soon as she was walking through that divorce, immediately the lies from Satan started to infiltrate her mind of, of just, you know, nobody's ever going to want to marry me. How am I ever going to get a job? I've been out of, you know, working for years and just all of these things. And it's just, you know, Satan is so just cunning, cunning, but also predictable. Mm. I mean, he just wants us to sit in those lies and, and of course he's the father of lies and then just live in the fear of our future. That was the reminder that I'm taking away from Lauren's story and this story is to be able to take my thoughts captive to Christ and hold them up against His Word. And I think the war room picture of all the scripture around her and her talking about, you know, those lies that she was believing just was that reminder for me. And, you know, really to, to jump right off of that, I really felt in my soul when she had to go back to work full time mm -hmm. and felt unqualified and like, mm -hmm. who would hire me? And... I mean, y'all, we work for storytellers. We have a job. And I still found myself going, if that was me, what would I even do? <laughs> and and I thought, what a strange thing for those of us who we work and we've started this ministry mm -hmm. and we've done a lot in seven years and still to catch yourself going, 
I don't feel qualified mm-hmm. to enter a different world. Mm-hmm. It really has caught, I've thought about it since I listened to this story of just the lies the enemy tells mm-hmm. us on every level. Yes. If that's you today, and maybe you're walking through a divorce, or maybe you've lost your spouse, or maybe you're just in a financial situation where you feel disqualified. I just pray against all yeah. of those lies today because and, that really stuck with me. Yeah, and you know, she even said in her story, God, I hate this plan, but I trust you. <laughs> right. I, I'm going to take that mantra with me. I hate this plan, but I trust you. And rearranging the puzzle pieces. Yes. It, it kind so of it reminded me of going back to the Julie Sparkman, like you have a picture of how your life is supposed to be. We've referenced that before. And I, I really like the analogy of, you know what? It's still your picture, God. This is still your puzzle. God's just going to arrange it a little differently. And then, like y'all are saying, how she learned to trust the Lord. Mm -hmm. And another thing is, what hit me between the eyes is, don't miss the community. Oh, yeah. The community that surrounded her, her friend in Birmingham that held her hand through just the baby steps of divorce and and moving on after divorce, but then also that sweet community that yes. just kept up with mm-hmm. her and invited them to invited her family to Easter. Mm-hmm. Y'all, it's little things. And we yeah. talk about that intentionality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, stepping in and and doing life with other people is really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Lenny, I totally agree. And I think that so many of our stories talk about the power of community. And it, it also is a challenge to me to recognize those people who are struggling yes. and live selflessly, mm-hmm. you know, to reach out to them. You know, I think one of my biggest pet peeves, you know, as a believer in Christ is when people tell you God will never give you more than you can handle. <laughs> and I was so glad that she brought that truth to light as well through her counselor's words in her story that her counselor said, oh, no, 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 God will definitely allow you to come into situations where it is more than you oh, can yes. handle so that you will go to Him. And mm-hmm. that was a reminder that I hope all of our listeners catch and recognize. You know, I think sometimes we can think that's in the Bible. Yeah. Like, you know, you can find yourself mm-hmm. with these phrases or coined things. I'm like, that's not that's biblical. Yes, right, right, <laughs> That's right. somebody's well-meaning words that are not correct, because we can all vouch that we have walked through more than we can handle. Yes. You know, and then finally, at the end of her story, she spoke about the book, A Life Well Spent, and we have actually linked that book in our show notes if you are interested in purchasing that. But just this concept of if we could end our life and choose what people would say about us, how would we live our life? backwards, that we would, you know, just live with this eternal perspective and recognize that everything here is temporary. And, you know, that means our struggles are temporary. That means, you know, the the, the pain, whether it's physical or emotional pain, it's temporary. You know, we are all headed to a different place. And just, I know that I want to get that book in particular, A Life Well Spent. Yeah, I had I had written that down too. We've yeah. had some good book recommendations <laughs> lately. <laughs> if y'all don't know where the show notes are, by the way, we do get the occasional, like, what do you mean scroll down? You literally, if you're listening to your podcast episode on Apple or Spotify, you just scroll, keep scrolling. And below, we have Katie's great points on what's highlighted in the story. We have links to everything that we talk about, songs, books, 
tickets, Patreon, all the things. So that's what that means. So thank you all so much for listening today. And another thing, I've taught you about show notes, but we actually are so thankful if you rate and review this podcast. Every review we get just helps people find us, preferably great reviews. (laughs) We like those even better. Um, But to rate and review the podcast just helps people find out. And maybe you just talk about your favorite episode. I don't know. I like to look at those and see what people are recommending. So thank you for doing that and have a great week and we will talk to you next week. Bye.